Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laser Focus. This is the podcast where we're going to uh, take a real deep dive into some of the bigger pop culture things in the nerd sphere happening. Um, one of the big things, first of all, my name is Kyle Anderson. I'm the senior editor of Nerdist, uh, and I'm really excited that we are starting this journey into getting real deep into stuff, stuff that we can't always find the space on our website to talk about in depth. Uh, as much as we'd like to write things that are 7,000 words long, we, we, you know, most people's eyes can't take that kind of thing, but we do want to talk about that. So, uh, this episode we're starting with, I think something pretty hefty in the world of, uh, geek culture. And that is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Now, the thing about this show is that we are not going to be uh, worried about spoilers in the least. This is going to be a spoiler full conversation. That's why most of these will uh, come out a little after the movie or the episode will have aired. Um, and and we'll just get right into it. Yeah. So uh, and every, every episode, we're going to have a, a different member of the Nerdist team here talking with me about the thing in question. And I'm very excited to start out this with uh, a longtime staff writer for Nerdist. He is... Uh, just a font of knowledge and a font of uh, opinions about uh, Marvel stuff, but also Game of Thrones slash House of the Dragon, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, welcome to the first episode of Laser Focus, Michael Walsh. Thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you for being the first person to ever describe me as a font. That's very exciting. Well, hey, w- would you rather be a, a spring, a wellspring? Would you rather be a font or a wellspring? Uh, I think a wellspring. But okay. that probably because I'm definitely more familiar with a wellspring than a font. Sure. Well, who isn't? Yeah. Everybody loves. Everybody I don't really see a lot of fonts every day. No, no, no. And most people just say a font of knowledge. I don't. I've never heard a font of anything else. A fontanelle, certainly. Mm, mm-hmm, of course, yeah. Yeah, baby soft spot. You know all about that, <laughs> Mikey's I do, dad. I do. Um. So yeah, first up, um, we're going to have a segment every week about uh, getting to know the members of the Nerdist. Uh, editorial team and and we'll have the video folks on and perhaps the social team as well um but uh so we're going to do a thing we're going to call the nerdy nine and that is you pick a number between one and nine and i ask a corresponding question about getting to know your tastes and uh and things we'll have a little conversation about that before we get into across the spider-verse so mikey please pick a number between one and nine i will go with the number eight in honor of bruins great cam neely all right so the number eight Nerdy nine question is what is your favorite item of clothing that you own? Oh, it has to be. I mean, besides my mesh short collection, AKA, <laughs> of, of course, course. Uh, I have been rocking the same gray zip up hoodie sweatshirt for so long and it it's held up. It's not ratty. There are no holes. Mm. It is very comfortable. And I love that thing. Even though I'm a little embarrassed for how long I've been wearing it. I feel like a, a nice zip up hoodie does not really. Is it a zip up or a pullover? Oh, a zip up. No, zip okay. up, zip up, zip up, zip up. Yeah. yeah. The pullovers are okay, but they don't have the, the versatility. No. I find them less cozy. They, I feel trapped in a, in a pullover. Oh, absolutely. That's why I don't wear turtlenecks. I can't. It's, yeah. like a, it's like being choked lightly all day. I don't need that. Once I became, once I uh, welcomed into my life the cardigan lifestyle, I'm like, oh, this is the best. Because you get all the style and the coziness of a sweater without having to feel like you are stuck in that thing until you go home. And plus, that's your look. That's your look. You're that is cardigan my look. guy. 
I'm a cardigan guy. I got glasses, yeah. beard, cardigan. It That's stinks that I live in LA because it's so much warmer. And so there's like several months when I cannot wear cardigans or shouldn't. Really. Sure. I was going to say shouldn't. I feel like you wear them all year long anyway. It's cold in the office sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah. Okay. So that's the first one. Next, next time you're on the show, we will, you will not be able to pick eight, uh, but we have eight more things for you to choose. And every time somebody's on the show, we will have them pick another thing and that will last a while. Um, but yeah, let's get into uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. This of course came out just a few weeks ago. Um, it has kind of, you know, shot up much faster to kind of cultural um, relevancy and cultural um I don't know what excitement then um, into the Spider-Verse, which I, you know, I think at that point people were like an animated Spider-Man movie, but we have live action Spider-Man movies. Um, and then it was ended up being so good and obviously won an Oscar um, I, and people just kept watching it and finding it. It was on Netflix for a long time um, and uh, it just, you know, people love it. And so when the next the second one came out, I was hoping it would do well, but I did not foresee it doing as well as it did. Um, and it has been, it's continuing to do, um, what was, you know, what were your hopes going into across the spider verse? Uh, what did you want from it? And, and largely how did you, how did it, uh, live up to those expectations? Well, you know, it had a kind of a, a tough task when it came to me personally, because into the spider verse is one of my absolute favorite movies ever, like probably top 10, no exaggeration, no hyperbole. I don't just think it's a masterpiece. It means a lot to me personally. So Going into Across the Spider-Verse, I was thinking to myself, can they really match this? And is it fair to even think that? But at the same time, I kind of thought they can do this because the first movie was so unbelievable, so original, um, so innovative. And, and the trailers for Across the Spider-Verse kind of built, built it to seem like it was going to get to that point. So I had both impossible expectations, but also thought they might be able to meet them. And we'll we'll get into like this the story specifics. That's kind of the the bread and butter of this show. I think is going to be really getting into the weeds of like character and plot and everything like that. But just as a uh, as an animated film, how did this live up to the first one? Because I mean, I'll just say for me, like it kicked its own butt. <laughs> like the way that the way that the spot does in the movie. Like the first one looks amazing and still looks amazing. But this one, they took so many more chances visually and like really differentiated the different universes in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, it's, it's a dazzling, like I, I hate when people use the word dazzling to mean special effects heavy. This is literally dazzling. I don't think there's anything you can say that it doesn't actually describe it. I don't think there's going too over the top. I walked out, I've seen this twice in theaters now. I walked out the first time and I just, I kind of couldn't believe that they had made a movie that looked like that. Yeah. I, I just couldn't imagine you watch, you can watch one five minute scene and think to yourself, like this took 20 years to make, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like this is, this is, and, and we're going to get, I know we're going to get into like the first 25 minutes, which I, but you watch that and you're like, oh, this is, this took a million hours and a million people, you know, and, and it still seems impossible. I, I, I think it's visually, I don't want to say visually it's the best animated movie I've ever seen because I actually think that kind of undersells it by putting it in a specific box. Right. I, I think visually this is one of the greatest movies of any kind I've ever seen. And I don't think we can, we can overhype that. I, I, it seems like a miracle. That's, that's how I would describe the, the visuals in this movie, a miracle. Yeah, I completely, I think it's like, 
you know, you watch some of those like Pixar shorts that play before like the major Pixar movies, and th- those take a lot of um, visual chances, um, and and really like you know play with style and form and things like that. But those are you know five to seven minute shorts that play before a feature, and and not to say that Pixar movies aren't pretty, but you know like so- something like um, Soul, I think is absolutely gorgeous and has a lot of uh takes a lot of interesting chances and styles and everything like that this is like almost between shots it changes like 100 percent like uh you have these characters who exist in different universes which we saw in the first movie and like um miles's universe which i guess is what 1600 1610 something like that yeah, um, i'm very bad with numbers so the uh <laughs> keeping, keeping track of all of the uh the different worlds and the the spider verse is not my forte yeah <laughs> but um miles's universe we'll call it um which i do think is 1610 um it had a specific look to it looked very stylized but then you brought in these other characters who were like even zanier, you know, you have obviously Spider Ham and Spider Man Noir, but then also um, uh, what's what's her name in the robot? Why can't I remember Penny. her name? Penny, Penny, thank you, Penny Parker. Um, and and like, okay, that makes a lot of sense that they are from completely different universes and stuff. Well, this this movie, they were like, well, let's spend a lot of time in these other universes, and even people like Gwen or or Peter B. Parker, for example, who seem quote unquote normal in terms of how they look compared to miles and everything like that their universes are distinct in in an amazing way yeah let's get into that first 20 minutes um which is basically just a gwen short film like a spider gwen you know uh she's the main character of that part and you could actually almost argue that she's the main character of the movie in a lot of ways um which i do think is something else we should talk about but um just the fact that it's kind of like pastel or sort of like you know um uh like crayon or chalk style like it's a it's an amazing like blending of of color and and pattern and everything like that and obviously the character designs are regular normal in in terms of the this universe but um i just thought like every bit of her walking around and the fact that like the color would change within the scene depending on the mood and everything like that i thought it was just so best use of color best use of color i've ever seen in in yeah i just couldn't believe it and it to get, to get to your point, it looks like a painting that is constantly evolving in the moment based on, and it, it's obviously it's based on the character's emotions and what they're going through at that point. Like I said, I, I couldn't believe it. And the second yeah. time, the second time I saw it, I knew what I was looking for and still couldn't believe it. It's like, you know, it's like the magician tells you how he does the trick and then you're still like, is that real magic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could. Yeah, totally. It's like, you know that, you know what it is, but it's sort of just like who thought of this stuff? I, I would love to like, I hope they make like a very long documentary for the Blu-ray about this where they just talk about like, who, who were the teams to design the different, because some of them are more obvious when they go to Mumbatten um, and everything is sort of based on um, Indian pop art. I, I thought that was awesome, um, but it has a very specific, and, and also like spider punk looks like punk stuff from the eighties in the UK and everything like that. Those are more like, um, I won't say obvious, but like, uh, you know what they're repping, I guess. Whereas Gwen seemed like, like a, like somebody scribbling in a, an art book or whatever, but like only using crayons or only using, uh, I, I don't want to say watercolors. Cause I think there's too much, like, it's weird to say that there's too much texture to it for me to say that it's watercolor based. And obviously it's all just digital. So it's, um, I, I was 
yeah, I just absolutely blown away. But yeah, let's get back to the the first 20 minutes. What did you think of the movie starting with Gwen the way that it did and kind of focusing so much on her and her journey? So the standard for a movie that kind of opens with a mini movie, I always think is up, right? That's the one mm-hmm. people always point to and be like, oh, they, they tell a whole story, a whole lifetime of a story in like 10 minutes and it's so moving. And I, I think that this is better. I think that this is better because the action sequences just kind of elevate it to it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to put down the beginning of up, you know, I'm like everybody else. I, I feel the same way about it. What, what they managed to do in terms of establishing that character, giving us more insight into her, developing the relationship with her father, showing her as a hero in, in a, in a way that we didn't quite get to see in the first one, right? Cause it's such a team effort at the mm. beginning uh, in the, in the first movie. And then, you know, the the heartbreak of her having to to walk away in that moment, you know, in some ways, I I have some some issues with this movie in terms of being its own movie. I think that this is an example of a half of a movie, a, par- a true like part one of one movie. Uh, and Gwen's 25 minutes to me feels more satisfying as an ending as what we get at the end with Miles. That that's how strongly I feel about this 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 opening sequence with her. And centering it on her, I there's a part of me that kind of wishes this was just her movie, and mm-hmm. that and that the next part was Miles' movie. Um, I, we can talk about that when we get we get towards the end and stuff. But I think that this is basically two. This movie has two protagonists kind of on their own paths, and Gwen's story is far more complete and developed than Miles, and that all begins with the opening sequence with her. Yeah, it's an interesting point because I've I've heard that a lot of people um, say that about the, the movie feels like half a movie or whatever. I kind of, you know, do you think, let's get into this part. Do you think The Empire Strikes Back is not a movie? No, and I, and I knew we were going to talk about this and I've been thinking about it. It can feel like a cop out. So if you're, if you're listening and you feel I'm about to cop out on this, I get it. But it's sometimes I know it when I see it. And for example, I got I got asked by our our video editor uh, Matt, the biggest Dune fan in the world, if I felt this way about the first part of Dune, and I didn't. Mm. I felt that Dune Part One was its own movie, the way Empire Strikes Back is. But I did not feel that way here, and I did not feel that way with Fast X, which is either Part One or of Two or Part One of Three of the supposed ending to the Fast and Furious trilogy. That's also not a whole movie to me. Um, you know, it has to kind of do with where the characters start and finish and how it wraps up. You know, for example, right, let, let, let's let, use maybe the most f- famous recent example. Avengers Infinity War to me is a whole movie, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that because that story is about Thanos getting the stones and, and performing the snap. Right. And that ends with that. He does it right. There's there's a there's a end to that story. And then Avengers Endgame is dealing with the fallout. To me, Miles story starts so late in the movie. Uh, you know, if we talk about what is Miles' actual story here, well, it ultimately ends up being him being told his father has to die and there's nothing he can do about it. That happens really, really late. And then we have this long sequence, uh, this long action sequence, which is all fantastic. You know, there's nothing bad. There's not a single bad scene in this movie. There's not a single bad moment or beat. I just, just wish that we either got more Gwen or more Miles, and I don't think they could have done 
both giving them both more. Hence my whole, I kind of wish that this had been Gwen's movie and the next one had been Miles' movie. I, I I hear what you're saying, but I also think that they did do that. Like, I do think, like, especially watching it a second time, if you're watching it, if you're going in thinking this is, I, I mean, I was about to say, thinking this is a Miles Morales movie, uh, then it, it, you're sort of like doing the movie a disservice. But I also think it, it tells a complete mile story as well. Like there, a cliffhanger does not equal a not ending. Um, and if you're looking at it, the movie starts with Gwen. The movie is about Gwen and learning what it means to be spider, a spider person. Um, miles knows what it means to be a spider person. He's the one who comes in and shakes things up. Like Gwen is, he's, through miles Gwen is seeing like oh this is that's what being a hero is it's not just falling in line and kind of you know you know we'll get into Miguel O'Hara but he's a cop like you know what I mean like he's just he's doing things that he thinks are right like but he but he's being very Tony Stark about it in the way that like there needs to be a you know a, a an iron suit around the world kind of thing um I think that I think that if you watch this movie just as a Gwen Stacy movie um she has her arc. She sees she's the one who makes the the critical error um, that that, you know, makes Miles, uh, you know, lash out in that way that he does um, rightfully. And then, you know, go, I'm going to I'm going to save my dad. There's nothing you can do to stop me. And then her realizing, no, he's right. And then going to see her dad and making the choice there not to just run away when they have the first beginning of an argument, but to actually talk to him. And learning, I can, which is a point you brought up, I think, in our discussions later on, she is she does save her her father, her captain, because she kind of talks him out of continuing along that path. Now I know there's some people who who have a problem with that whole scene of like you know he's one of the good ones or whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, but I think that like, and then it's her at the end trying to go save him, realizing, oh no, I messed up, and then gathering the team to go save miles. And I understand that miles is the lead of the first movie and he has to be a substantial part of this movie, but it's like, he's the Han Solo in this movie and she's the Luke Skywalker. If we're going to talk about empire. Strikes You're right. Back. And by the way, I, I actually do agree with you about Gwen stuff. I actually do feel like Gwen's half of this movie is a movie. Um, my issues just come with the end of miles, which is what he's trying to do is, is save his dad. There's no resolution there, but then there's this new thing introduced the cliffhanger at the end of, of meeting prowler miles. Uh, you know, and so I don't want people to to be listening to this and think like, oh, this guy doesn't like the movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. What we are, we're basically talking about is like a quibbles, you know, like, is it, yeah, yeah. Is it almost four stars or four stars, you know? And I feel like sometimes <laughs> when, when a movie's this beloved and you start talking about like, well, you know, I just kind of had some pacing issues in the second half and I, I thought, whatever, whatever, right? I'm going to watch this movie a hundred more times, just like I watched the first one. And I'm going to pick up stuff every time. And, you know, the, I had, in addition to the Miles, I the only other issue I kind of had with the movie, and I think this is maybe what contributed to my feeling that Miles' story was incomplete, was I don't totally buy the parents' concern 100%. Like, it is so, they are so worried about this kid who's at this, like, special high school who's, like, talking about going to, uh, what's he talking about, going to Princeton, right? Or Columbia, Princeton, yeah, right? Princeton, yeah. And, and like... He's got all A's in class and stuff except for one. And it's like, this kid seems amazing in almost every way. You know, like the, it's not like he's getting taken home by the cops at night, right? He's, his father's not bailing him out of jail. Um, and there just seemed to be a lot more concern from them than I was seeing on screen. But again, it, it's okay because it's still fantastic. And Miles is great. And 
one thing, you know, I want to talk about something that I really, really love, which is that there was a plan. There was a plan for this movie that was set up in the first movie. You know, we see the spider, the 42 spider that bites mm. miles, right? And it's glitching, right? And it's glitching. And I know some people talked about it, but it never really seemed like it entered like the, you know, we're, we are unfortunately and fortunately sometimes a little too close to these conversations. Yeah. Like what's, you know, part of our job. I didn't really see a lot of discussion about the 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 real meaning of the spider 42 glitching and stuff like that. And then it's like, well, geez, you know, there's a look at this. Look at this world where there's like a thousand, a thousand or a million Spider-Man, Spider-People running around. Right. Who cares about Miles? There's a reason to care about Miles. He really is special. And it makes the movie so much better because they had a plan. And we don't have to get into the specifics of other franchises that did not have a plan. Sure. But. It's always better to have a plan. Studio heads, have a plan. Know what's the next step so you can start laying the foundations now. Well, and they, even if they didn't have, so I do think you're absolutely right about the spider. I think that that was clearly laid out ahead of time because, and the fact that, you know, the the post-credits tease at the end of the first one is Miguel. So it's like, we see that that is um, something that they are planning to do uh, with this with these movies. I mean, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are not fools. Like they know what they're doing. They understand that this is a beloved character, a beloved franchise, and also something that they can really put their stamp on, which I think they obviously did. Um, But whether this was initially the plan or not, they made it seem absolutely plausible that the spot would be just that guy he hit with a bagel in the first movie. Like it's completely, I mean, and that is true of the character too, like Jonathan on, if you want to read a deep dive, um, you can read Eric Diaz's uh, who is the spot. Um, piece on nerds.com but then i also did a, a video breakout if you want to watch that on our youtube about who is the spot and jonathan on is such a strange o-n-o-h-n-n um he's a scientist who decide you know basically the exact same thing that happens in across the spider-verse and he's a joke villain and then he becomes more than that like they eventually like um he, he's using this like portal technology that is built into his body to just steal stuff, which is like weird way to not aim very high, buddy. But then by the end, he is like incredibly powerful and knows it and everything like that. And so I really like that about him. And I like the fact that they, you know, um, he is Miles's nemesis. You know, he keeps insisting on that and he is that. And I like the fact like part and parcel to the fact that this is not, Miles's movie full stop is that there's no resolution of that either. That's obviously going to be in the next, excuse me, in the next movie. Um, so I think that like just the fact that they're, they're planting all these seeds throughout. And, and obviously once you know, the first movie is a success, you can be a little more deliberate and a little more like we are putting a cliffhanger at the end of this one. Whereas the first movie wasn't that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just, they're so smart when it came to like, figuring stuff out and the, and the spider of 42 we, we see the sea of spider people there is only one miles like it's not like there's another universe where miles is spider-man it's it's this one because there was an accident he should have been the miles or he should have been that spider should have gone to the other universe the the prowler universe and all that stuff we'll call it i guess um the i we'll call it the green the green sky universe because that's like Especially on the second viewing, you you clock right away. It's like, oh, that sky's different than the place where Gwen is. So it's like, it's it's well done. Um, so I loved that. I, I was just like, let's you know, there's a big uh, debate among people 
both about Miles in the comics, but also in this in the movies of like, does he count as a Spider-Man? Is he really Spider-Man because he's not Peter Parker? It's like, I think these movies are are making the case that not only is he Spider-Man, he's the most Spider-Man. He's the one, he's the Spider-Man who never gives up, um, at least in this version of events. Um, and I think that that's like, that's all you want from a character. And again, like, I think he is the one who, through his actions and his kind of um, stalwart nature, he's he's affecting Gwen. It seems like Gwen is the second lead, but she's actually the first lead to get back to the first 20 minutes, which we barely talked about. But like her little short film sets up her arc one wonderfully that her father was so dedicated to getting spider spider Gwen uh, that he was willing to arrest his daughter like on the spot because she was he couldn't he couldn't separate the 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 act from the actor, I guess um, that is such a heartbreaking moment. And the, and like, she would have been completely screwed had Miguel and uh, Jessica not taken her with them. It, an absolute gut punch of a, of a moment in that movie. I want to go back to the spot for a second. I have a question for you. Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> How did you feel about the spot turning out to be the bagel guy from the first one? I thought it was fine. I, again, I'm, I'm really, please, I love this movie. Don't don't send angry emails that I, all I do is bash it. I kind of love that bagel joke so much in the first one that I wish it had just been its own thing forever. <laughs> like, it's it's such a it's such a silly, silly, funny, perfect moment that really encapsulates the spirit of the first movie that I just kind of like the idea of this guy who's just kind of doing his job and gets hit with a bagel and that's it. That's his whole role in the entire franchise. It doesn't matter. It's, it, you know, it doesn't matter, but. It it was one thing that in, when it revealed in the movie, it's like you hit me with a bagel. It's like ah, I, didn't, I didn't want any. I don't want to know anything about that guy. I just want him to be the bagel guy forever. Well, yes, I mean, but I think that's like that speaks to the kind of dumbness of the spot when you first see him. It's like oh, he's just a bagel guy. Like no wonder Miles thought he was just the villain of the week. You know, I like the fact that we see for two seconds when on, when he's on his way to uh, his dad's party, uh, the armadillo, which is just a very strange. Um, uh, uh, Spider-Man villain or Marvel villain and he's dealt with in half a second like he's basically just like just to illustrate that Miles has to deal with this all the time <laughs> there's just constant bad guys that he has to fight on his way home and everything like that um, but yeah anyway let's get back to you know uh, we keep not talking about the first 20 minutes uh, we talked about the art style um, what did you think about the introduction of uh, Spider-Woman Jessica Drew and um, Spider-Man 2099 Miguel O'Hara Oh, I saw somebody mention this, and I kind of can't get the thought out of my head. Should all superhero movies be animated? Like, are we kind of not doing this right by having the, all these superhero movies be live action? Because when's the last time you saw an introduction in a superhero movie that was that good? And by the way, it applies to both of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the pregnant Spider-Woman coming in on her motorcycle or the giant vampire Spider-Man who's who looks like he could fill four doorways you know yeah. coming in I, I, I didn't even care what happened with them i was just happy they were there the whole time they can come back for all the movies they could be villains or heroes i don't care they were fantastic entire sequence even even the renaissance vulture yeah like, that was unbelievable what we, yeah. but, and it really makes me think why are we making these live action are we we really might be getting this wrong because you can do anything right I mean, we have now seen we have now seen it does not matter how successful your franchise is. 
does not matter how many billions of dollars you take in or how many billions of dollars you have. There are limits to what we can do with CGI, mm-hmm. you know, and somehow we just we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of Jurassic Park. Somehow CGI seems to be getting worse, you know, in some ways. And I don't get it. So maybe maybe it's time to take a break and go back to animated until we can catch up, because that's that's how good and impactful that opening sequence is in, in terms of story and introduction and visuals. Well, and, and and that's always been the case. You can do so much with animation. Um, people will buy animation that is stylized and not realistic, quote unquote. Whereas CGI has to be as realistic as possible, uh, so that a humans can interact with it on screen and it makes sense to people. But like you know, people don't want to just see CGI characters punching each other all the time. But I'm happy to see animated characters punch each other all the time. I feel like, like I could have fought the vulture for an hour. I'd have been like, all right, let's go. Just, this guy's tough. And just, and I wondered like too, like what is the average shot length in this movie? It has to be like 0.5 seconds. It is so fast and they're able to squeeze. So especially during that opening fight scene in the Guggenheim, which is a, which is a cool looking building to begin with, but having like, you know, going back and forth and like seeing little flashbacks to the vultures, actual Leonardo da Vinci universe. And like, it's so like like it's a bombardment and not in a bad way like you are bombarded with these images and styles and everything like that and yeah once the other spider people come in they each have their com- complete distinct style and are just so cool like i love the moment when when gwen goes will you adopt me <laughs> like it's just to to jessica drew i was just like that is so cool and i love i love both of the performance i loved all the performances i didn't think any i didn't think there was a bad performance in the in the whole bunch um, no, I, I don't, I, I don't, nothing. In fact, I'd say we can go even further. Every performance is good in this movie. Yeah. If good minimum good. Yeah. And there are some like, there's not even voice actors attached to these, but like there are moments that the care that just background characters have that are, I think that's uh, a Banksy. I think that's a Banksy. Such a good joke. Apparently, or like, he, apparently nobody knows who he is in any dimension, <laughs> which is great. Why would they? Um, uh, but there's that bit at the, um, at, uh, uh, Captain Morales, well, soon to be Captain Morales's, um, party where he and, uh, Rio are having an argument with Miles and, uh, the, the music kind of cuts out and they're screaming at each other and you just see the DJ and he's got his hands in it, his head in his hands. And he's just like, Oh my God, this is so awkward. It's the funniest cutaway. And that character is just there for that purpose. Like he's just there for the music. Like, I just, I, I love that stuff so much. Like the fact that, and this, this movie to me feels like, I I feel like the first one was a comedy with dramatic and heroic stuff in it. Whereas this one feels like a more like a drama, like all the way through, but the comedy in it is still really funny. And like, it's organic. It's It's organic. And and we, there's a, there's a big movie coming out this weekend that I reviewed. And and we talked about this because you've seen it too, where the, the comedy that's organic and comes from characterization is always funny and the force stuff isn't. And the, one of the calling cards now of two spider verse movies is that the comedy comes naturally. It comes from what's actually happening and the characters. And that's why it consistently lands. You know, there, there are so many moments in this movie that I just like laughed out loud. And even though really terrible stuff is kind of happening or, yeah. or they're talking about awful things, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's good writing. That's yep. good writing, you know, and uh, 
That's why we want to support writers everywhere. And I'm not talking about you and I, although support us. Support Please us. support us Please. by reading our things at Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com. Slash greatest website in the world. <laughs> um, I, there was that bit too where like, you know, uh, at the beginning when Miles is having his first conversation with the spot in the in the bodega, um, he kind of calls the spot out for saying ATM machine when the M and ATM machine means machine. Um, and then later old, old on, Homestar Runner joke, by the way. Yeah, it is. That's an old Homestar Runner joke. <laughs> and pin number as well. Um, personal identification number number. Um, but then when they go to Mumbatton, he says both chai tea and non bread, which and then uh, that spider Spider-Man India like makes fun of. I just thought that was so perfect because it's like everybody does that. Everybody has one of those things that they say that they shouldn't say that they just know. They've probably been told a million times that that's not correct, and they still just say it because that's just the way they've always said it. And I just thought that was really, really funny. But um, yeah, I really want to get into – I mean, there's so much, obviously, we can continue on. We're doing this relatively scattershot, um, but I do want to really get into Miguel O'Hara and the kind of the plot once they get to the spider uh, compound uh, in the in the multiverse. Um, but we will do that right after this brief break. And we're back on Laser Focus. We're going to talk about Spider-Verse, the actual converging of the spiders. Um, six billion spider people in this movie. What did you think about, before we get into the the Miguel O'Hara, the 2099 of it all, um, what did you think of seeing all of those different uh, spider people, but also the kind of cameos of villains from different universes? The <laughs> the b- uh, boring rhino was one of my favorite kind of call, like cutaway jokes or it's just it's just a rhinoceros (laughs) that was so good uh do you think so does miles do miles and gwen and spider noir do they see each other in 2d so that when they see donald glover's aaron prowler do they see him in 3d or do they all see each what what do you think is the the specifics there well it's interesting you say that because there was a couple like in the background we see um uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, which was an animated show, which got canceled too soon. It's really good. Um, you can now watch it on Disney Plus, but for a long time it was hard to see. Um, you see that character a couple of times in the in the hub or whatever you want to call it. Um, they've made him 3D, or at least as 3D as as so CG like animated. Home, like when Homer Simpson ended up in the real world. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I think. They all see each other as 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 3D spot- as. When yeah. the spot went into the Venom Venom universe, he was definitely still 2D. Yeah. But again, this just could be the way we're seeing it from the outside. Uh, but I, it is, you know, I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if that's really weird. Be like, oh, you have a third dimension. Interesting. Well, do they, what do they think about the Lego universe? It's like, why is everybody yeah. tiny and brick? Doesn't make sense. I, lo- I love the fact that when, when that Peter Parker calls in, uh, Miguel goes, Thank you, Peter. You're one of our best. <laughs> you know, for for the only Spider-Man who doesn't like he isn't funny, right? That's what Peter B says about Miguel. He goes, you know, you're you're not funny. We're all supposed to be funny. He does have a lot of really funny moments. Him, his lowering down slowly on yeah. his platform. That's such a. And I say this with love and respect. It's such a stupid bit. Yeah, and the fact that it's so funny is that is is such a testament to it. And then. 
you know, when, when Miles says uh, the Spider-Verse, he's like, that's a stupid name. And then he tells the real name. He's like, well, I guess that's pretty dumb, too. It's, <laughs> it's good. You know, he's not trying to be funny, but it's funny. It's it's, it's yeah. really good. And there again, that you have a, a good actor like Oscar Isaac who can play the intensity, but then also kind of like not cast off the jokes, but like it's organic. He just kind of says a thing like you realize that he thinks it's dumb and goes, oh, yeah, I guess it's dumb. And that's funny. Um, we're, this is what this Oscar podcast Isaac is. talented. Yeah, Oscar Isaac, talented guy. This is we're going to say things that are very obvious. That's what this podcast. I'm going to say it, folks. I'm going to go there. I'm going to say Oscar Isaac is a oh, talented guy. I don't care. This guy send those emails. Fire incendiary commentary from Michael Walsh. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I that's a good question about the about the hub and everything like that because we also have the um, the PlayStation uh, video game version of Spider Man. Uh, who is clear? Who is clearly in more three dimension than most of the other characters? That's a good question. I have no idea. I was really. I mean, I, much has been said about it, but like um, the Prowler, uh, the the Donald Glover version of that character, uh, is a was a really funny bit. And it's it's funny if you know who Donald Glover is as a person. It's funny if you remember that he was in Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, it's even funnier if you realize that he is technically playing Aaron in spider-man homecoming um and uh it's even funnier when you realize that it doesn't have to be that same character because the mcu and certainly like the animated spider-verse are never actually going to cross over as evidenced by the fact that they shouted out that puny kid and dr strange messing stuff up but they're not allowed to show that stuff. I think there must be some kind of rule or stipulation, but they could show McGuire and they could show Garfield and stuff like that. But I think that that's like, that's, that's a triple layer like of meta joke and just to have Donald Glover in there because Donald Glover was for such a long time, the internet's favorite to be the live action miles Morales. And then obviously that didn't happen. He got too old. They didn't do it right away and everything like that. So, um, and he's only in it for like half a second. Like he's there to say what, you know, can I help you or whatever? And then like uh, cheer them on when he's running away from all the spider people. Like perfect. I thought that was perfect amount. Yeah. They don't overdo it. It lands and in and out, just get it in and out of the joke, you know? Yeah. And, and who doesn't, who doesn't enjoy <laughs> my rewatching homecoming fairly recently. Donald Glover is a really underplaying in that movie and also playing high, like to a degree that is maybe like too high for a family movie. <laughs> like he's playing so stoned in that movie. Um, that's neither here nor there. It just made me laugh. Okay. Man just wanted to get home with his ice cream. Yeah. Protect his nephew and get home with his ice cream. Who doesn't want to get home with their ice cream? I mean, you got to get home with the ice cream. It's stressful. It's a stressful situation. You've you been stuck to- in traffic oh. when you got ice cream in the back. Oh, it's the Can worst. Can I say something? Can I say something? Yeah. Yeah, of course. No. No, you know why? If I think there's any chance it's going to take me too long to get home, I will not buy ice cream. It is a very strategic <laughs> oh, purchase. You, I take it seriously. So I take you've never seriously. once been like, oh, there's an accident or something like that that is unforeseeable. No, I will make sure that I am close enough. I, I will go to the store that is close enough to my house or... Or on the rare occasions, right? You you like you want to get a shout out to one of my favorite ice creams, Jenny's, right? Jenny's ice cream. Sometimes I can't get that nearby. You got to have the cooler ready to go. Kyle, I take it very seriously. I take it very is, seriously. Wow, that is have, some forethought. Yeah. That's as much forethought as Miguel O'Hara had. Oh, segue, segue. Oh, they're not doing segues better in the multiverse than that, nope, folks. And they never will. Uh, and you can put that in writing. Don't you? Don't need to. Uh, 
so yeah, Miguel is effectively, I mean, obviously the spot's a villain, uh, and kind of the situation is, is bad in the, in the movie. But do you think Miguel is a quote unquote villain? I mean, he's the antagonist of this movie, certainly, mm-hmm. but does, does that make him, I, 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 we're not getting into Miguel O'Hara was right the same way that Thanos was right. Shut up about that stuff. But do you think that he is justified enough in his in his beliefs to make him not just a misguided Spider-Man, but like an actual an actual Spider-Man who's maybe just taken it too far? You know, there's a, a an element here that makes this a very difficult question because we don't actually know exactly what Miguel knows. Mm. You know, and we we were talking about this after we saw the movie that it implies that Miguel destroyed an entire universe when he he took over a dead Miguel's life, right? This is, and he, he admits, right? He, he wasn't happy. He saw a, a version of himself that was. And when that version of himself died, he thought I can take over that life and I can be happy. And what happens is people start, it almost looks like they're getting raptured, right? That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. Like, this is, this is the end the blue lights pulling people up and stuff like that. And it seems like, Oh, he destroyed an entire world. This is the spider versus version of an incursion. But it's actually not clear. And if you watch it, if you, if when you rewatch it, it almost seems like he's in Peter B. Parker's world. Mm-hmm. We see Miguel running down the street, holding his, his, his other version's daughter and people are being up. And then we see a Spider-Man on the ground holding somebody. And then all of a sudden Miguel comes into focus and that Spider-Man becomes Peter B. Parker. And the, the implication is this might've been Peter's world. Well, if it was Peter's world, it seems almost impossible. The entire world was destroyed because we know that it's it's way too hard to to just go into another universe and take over. So how could he have a, a kid with somebody else in a different right? So the, mm. the the so we don't know if if Miguel is doing all of this based on what he thinks or what he knows. In either case, I would say this: I believe Miguel thinks he's doing the right thing for the right reasons, even though he knows they're bad. Mm. And and. I think the question of is it is that make them uh, someone a hero or a villain is is sometimes ends up being very personal. You know, we we just saw Andor season one where Luthen is doing terrible things. Right. And he know he basically is like I'm a terrible person. I am using the tools of my enemy. I'm I'm burning my soul to save others. I don't know. We walk away thinking that guy's a hero because ultimately he's doing he's he's sacrificing himself and his soul for for the sake of the galaxy. I did find myself feeling. Oh God, I'm almost afraid to say this. I did find myself feeling a little bad for Miguel. I did. Sure. And so I don't think he is a pure villain. And, you know, he's clearly the 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 antagonist in the movie, but it, not as much as what it seems to be the idea of like fate. Right? Yeah. Fate seems to be the 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 main antagonist, which is what Miguel's basically saying. Like you can't fight fate. You can't fight what's gonna happen. Terrible things are gonna happen to all of us and there's nothing you can do. And that that to me is is the real villain of the movie, even if Miguel is is the antagonist of the movie. So I guess to a short version is really good character, really yeah. good character, and really interesting unto himself. And you can almost see a world where he has his own movie, <laughs> you know, maybe before oh, yeah. this, not not now, but before this, you know, like he he's got a little tragic tale too. He just he just wanted to be happy, and he caused a lot of pain and death, and now he's trying to atone for it the only way he knows how. Well, and that's you know, something that I, something the movie contends with on a meta level, because you're, you're absolutely right. It's like tragedy and fate are, are big things, um, that Miguel is trying to, you know, 
you can't escape it, everything like that. But he's all they're calling it a canon event, not not flippantly. Like it is he also represents the idea that there is only one version of Spider-Man events and and the kind of backlash that a lot of comic book fans can have when different adaptations um change too much of the story or whatever. Um the fact that Uncle Ben or an uncle has to die as the inciting incident and then later on a captain character. And just the fact that it continually happens is is sort of just like, oh, wow, that's, you know, the, this movie just kind of shines a light on all that stuff. But in the comic books and also in the video game, if you played the first Spider-Man PS2, no, PS2, what year is it? PS4, now PS5 video game. Uh, Miles' dad does die. Like he does die in the exact same way that is depicted. Like he dies saving somebody at his, um, you know, ceremony in the, in the game. It's, he got a medal because he helped Spider-Man save the city. And that is like, that's a big inciting incident for miles. Um, I think this, I, I don't think that they will, I mean, we can speculate all we want about the next movie, but like, I don't think that they, went out of their way to point out how, how kind of silly that is to just be trapped by fate and then not, you know, uh, completely change it because like Brian Tyree Henry is so funny in this movie and so good as that character. You don't want him to die, obviously. Um, but you also like, there is that like years and years of canon kind of fighting against that. And the fact that like George Stacy always dies in every version of the comics, um, or in most versions anyway, and, um, and the movies and everything like that. And this movie goes, well, what if he didn't? And, but we also don't know to the extent that she changed anything. Like so there was it's like, well, he quit. So he's not a captain anymore. So another captain's going to die like that. That really gets in the weeds. And I think that kind of misses the forest for the trees at a certain point of, but that's again, and now I go back to, that's the point of people who are nitpicky about Canon. It's like, well, they didn't do this. So that means this is going to, you know, whatever. Um, instead of just watching the movie. And I think that like they did a really good job that could have been really annoying. Um, very, if very easily could have went wrong. Yeah. If the entire movie was just about um, pointing out canon events and everything like that, that gets too meta and that gets really irritating. Um, that movie did not do that at all. And as far as I'm concerned and the fact that like Miguel represents that and also is scary, he is formidable. He is a character that, mo- you know, 2099 was a, it ran for a while, Spider-Man 2099. Like the compendium of it is quite thick. It's like in the thousands of pages. Um, but then it kind of just ended abruptly once they kind of went, eh, you know, we don't really need to do this 2099 universe anymore. So he's kind of a sort of the same way that um, Scarlet Spider, which is the 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 angsty one that uh, Andy Samberg plays. It's like um, a perfect casting. Oh totally. So funny. And that was, not, I mean, they played it perfectly too, where he's very, he's drawn like he's in the 90s. He's very like, you know, uh, emo and stuff and just talks too much and like narrates too much. That was uh, the hallmark of those Scar- Scarlet Spider books, the, the clone saga. Um, but like those are very of the time and they feel very uh, dated. And I, I, I f- like the, the joke is that Ben Riley is is that is dated and kind of silly. The joke is never on Miguel um, as being out of touch or out of time or anything like that. It's literally that he is he sees himself as like the lone, the lone one who understands anything. And there, to your point earlier about it being Peter B. Parker's universe, they share that look earlier on, like before we see that flashback where they clearly like, they don't like each other. 
Peter yeah. keeps trying to be friends with Miguel, and Miguel wants none of it. You could tell Miguel would Peter B is the last person he would want to go get dinner with or or yeah. drink or something like that. They, they do not make sense as two people who would be spending time, but clearly there's something between them that yeah. has bonded them. Yeah, which I'm excited to learn about in the next one. Um, I also think that there's like you know in Mumbatton, um, Miguel assumes that because Peter, uh, not Peter, Miles saved Captain Singh that that ruined things. And there were, you know, like there was that ground kind of portal that opened up and they had to like put the devices around to kind of stop it. That's just what he thinks happened that. Yeah. And he, we have a character who is, who is creating, um, you know, holes in the multiverse, kind of sucking them in on each other in, in the form of the spot. Who's to say that that wasn't a result of him. Like the, the entire, um, lab like collapsed and everything like that. So, I feel like there's enough room for ambiguity um, in the reading of that. Uh, and I think people, are, anybody who looks at this and thinks that what Miguel is saying and believing and uh, explaining is 100% accurate, I think is missing the point where like he's he's going to be proven wrong. And that is another part of a Spider-Man's existence is they are often wrong. And that's kind of like, that's why people like Spider-Man is because he has to, he's just a regular person who makes mistakes he's not uh he's not a fallen god he's just a dude or or they're just a person who has to contend with all this stuff and so i i, I think that like I, I i'm excited to see where that's going to be that's going to be in you know next march is when the next movie comes out um and and i i just think that miguel is going to either come or i don't think he's going to be a, a straight-up villain in the next one i think he's going to eventually come around because he is pretty monstrous to miles in this one and he kind of he kind of misses his own point right he's telling he's telling miles there are certain things you can't change right we have to just kind of accept that certain things are going to happen to us and that's the way it is but like you said he has no idea what's going yeah. on here you know he doesn't really know is this world going to collapse on itself you know there's a guy jumping around and there even the idea that they're all he, he's he is really mad at miles right you don't belong here you were never supposed to be spider-man you were never supposed to be bit Okay, he didn't call, he didn't pull in a spider from another dimension. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, he didn't do this, so maybe there's a reason he was bitten. Maybe for the same reason you think Uncle Ben has to die in every universe, maybe there's a reason Miles became Spider-Man when he wasn't supposed to. So there's this there's this challenge from Miguel where he can't see the forest from the trees. Yeah. He's so focused on the things that he is convinced must happen that he can't let go of the things he can't control. And and that that's really what, like you said, I can't I can't wait to see how this gets resolved because, um, you know, I, I know I know some people don't like when you start talking about themes and whatnot, but, you know, how this ends is going to tell us what these stories are really about. And I can't mm. wait to see how it ends because I want to see what they, they have to say. And, you know, and one one thing the movie did do, Gwen, Gwen tells her father the truth. And by telling him the truth about who she is, instead of keeping the secret that they all kind of keep from their loved ones, she saves him. And she realizes Miguel's right. Uh, Miguel, Miles is right. Miles is right. We might be able to save his dad. We don't have to destroy the entire world or let his dad die. It doesn't have to be either or. So I, I, I'm really interested to see where this goes because there's a lot of great places to go. And, you know, when they, when they announced, uh, you know, you know, Spider Noir wasn't going to be in the movie or anything like that. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Now we know why. Because that final scene where she puts the team together of old friends and new, like my favorite thing about the the first one was this just idea of like, you know, 
I'm I'm a huge sucker for the trope of just like friendship, right? Yeah, just coming together, just <laughs> yeah. like 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 you know it's, that that's that's always going to get to me. And just seeing her call on friends, old and new, and like let's go save our friend. That was great. That was great. I, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because I'm such a nerd about <laughs> about those types of moments. Yeah, um, but there you know to to talk about Empire Strikes Back again. That to me is the same as the ending where you have Luke and Leia and the droids standing looking out at um the millennium falcon driven by lando who was not uh, an ally for most of the movie and chewbacca going to save han solo it's just like yes that is what you want like one of your friends is in trouble you want your team of good guys to go save kyle lando was an ally the entire movie is the hero of cloud city oh he's the hero of cloud city he made a deal to save lives he did the best he could under the circumstances and when the circ when the circumstances changed he went to bat for them this will we, this will be a cliffhanger for a future episode that we're going to do as a hot takes episode. I, wrote, I have hey, people on. Yeah, you I wrote, did. I wrote this like seven or eight years ago. The hero of Cloud City, Lando Calrissian. Ugh, I'm right. I'm right. It's the most right I'll ever be about anything. I I, I can't even look at you right now. I'm sorry. I've looked at like you for the last time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're rooting for the Empire. What? Yeah. No, shut up. I'm not. <laughs> So um, you want Darth Vader to kill all of them? Nobody wants Darth Vader to do that. Um, some people, some people do. Before we, uh, you know, obviously we could keep talking about this forever, but in the in the, in the well, land before, of brevity. But yeah, is there anything else that we should uh, hit on? I just, we I just wrap you know, the this this movie. What what I think my favorite element is, you know, they talk about this idea of we are defined by the the bad things that happen to us, right? Like, oh, you know, you have to, your uncle, if, if not for Uncle Ben, most of us wouldn't be here, right? That's what Peter B says. But the ending of this movie with Miles Prowler, uh, Prowl, Prowler, Prowler Miles, Miles right? per hour. Yes. Miles per hour. Prowler Miles. Sorry, it's tough with a Boston accent to say that. Um, <laughs> we, what we see, right? Something terrible did happen to him, right? He lost his dad. He lost his dad and him and his mom are struggling and they live in this horrible, horrible place, right? That, that world, world 42 is really terrible. The sinister six are running mm. around with nobody to fight them, right? It's just terrible. The city is literally burning and we see something terrible happen to him all the same, but he went a different path because it's not that terrible things defined us, define us. It's how we respond to them, right? And this is what makes spider-man miles and the other spider people heroes it's not that they're not heroes because something bad happened to them they're heroes because something bad happened to them and they took that as inspiration to do good they know suffering right this is the this is the tie that binds all of the spider people something terrible happened to them and they know suffering and they say i don't want others to feel this i want to go out and prevent other people from being hurt i want to save other people i want to make the world a better place because i know pain and this is such a, a, a beautiful, beautiful idea. And it, it takes the idea of Spider-Man, which is, as Peter B says about, uh, we wouldn't be here with Uncle Ben. He's right, but not for the reason. He doesn't quite realize the reason for it. it, and it that's what makes them all heroes. And that's what makes, that's what makes this character of Spider-Man and Spider, or Spider-Woman or Spider-People so, so beloved and that we can have literal a, a little spider-verse version of them right and we love all of them because mm. that's the tie that binds them and i think you know even if this movie was half as good looking visually 
it would still be a, a, a fantastic movie because it gets the core of the character so right. And this is something that we see in so many adaptations about what goes right or what goes wrong. Do they understand the character on a fundamental level? And the Spider-Verse movies do as well as any superhero movies I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I couldn't agree more. I, I feel like it, Spider-Man of, of the heroes that are like, a, I would call Spider-Man an A-list hero for, for sure. Like certainly in the Marvel universe, but also just kind of in the pantheon of um, comic book heroes just in general. And of them, he seems to be the one that you can do this kind of thing the best with in terms of like it, cause it's all about, you know, it's oft quoted, but like with, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. That is an important thing in just everybody. Like, you know, that's, that's not just like a, a Spider-Man specific, you know, uh, uh, ideal to, to strive for. And yet, that one always seems to be like people, other heroes seem to forget that. Um, but Spider-Man is the one that you can, you can do that the most with. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Like it gets to the heart of what heroism is. It's not giving up. It's not, it's not saying, well, what can I do? I'm just a guy, you know, like it's, and anybody like, like it's in the first movie, anybody can put on the mask. We could all be Spider-Man, you know? And that's why there's so much uh, attention in a lot of the Spider-Man movies about, the the community kind of rallying behind Spider-Man because he is fighting for them and he is fighting for everybody. And that's like the whole, that's what makes Spider-Man so great. He's not a God. Like again, like as much as I like Superman as a character or even Batman, they are above the people that they save. They are either, you know, in Iron Man's the same way. Like he thinks and knows he is, he's superior to these people as much as possible. Spider-Man never feels like he's, superior to anybody like he has this power and that's why he goes and fights that's it like <laughs> he doesn't and he's scared for other people's you know health and well-being and everything like that and so he he never gives up because if he does if he gives up i mean the closest we have is captain america and captain america is like but he is he is moral to the point of being like unflat unmovable like captain america is the the you know, the tree that doesn't move in a windstorm. Like he is absolutely um, the pillar of morality and, and kind of just heroism. But Spider-Man is the every person version of that. I, you know, we, we can strive to be like Captain America, but it's much easier and kind of more realistic to strive to be like Spider-Man. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was our, discussion i guess <laughs> definitely a discussion that was a discussion argue. i think i think by the definition yeah that was a yeah, discussion we definitely discussed spider-man across the spider-verse um i'm sure we'll have more to say about that uh, other points maybe when the blu-ray comes out we can do another thing if we find something else um if you have questions or if you have points that you'd like to um bring up about across the spider-verse that you think we missed we can definitely touch on that in a future episode please email us at laserfocus at nerdist.com um, and, uh, we will, uh, you know, and if you have questions for any of our, uh, nerdist experts as come on, um, you can write in questions at that same address and we will have uh, a little ending to most of our episodes, which we'll call the mailbag, uh, where we address some of this stuff. Uh, as this is the first episode, we do not have any mailbag questions, but, uh, I am going to give, <laughs> we're going to have a go off, go off King. We're going to have a go off King segment where Mikey, who is our foremost, uh, Westeros scholar 
on staff and has lots of opinions. I would I will give you two minutes on the clock, sir, to tell me why you hate Kristen Cole as much as you do. Uh, let me let me set the the alarm. When this goes off, you must stop, even if you're in the middle of a sentence. Okay. Okay. Please tell us why Kristen Cole is terrible. Go. If you don't know who Kristen Cole is, he comes from House of the Dragon. And he is the worst character in the history of literature and television. Okay. And I think the simplest way, if you know nothing about him, imagine if the idea of men's rights became a person, a single person, that stupid concept of men's rights just formed, formed arms and legs and a stupid head. It would be Sir Kristen Cole, the worst person who ever lived in Westeros. And I want you to think about what I just said. The worst person who ever lived in Westeros. Do you know who lived in Westeros? Joffrey Baratheon. Cersei Lannister. Ramsay Bolton. These are people who lived in Westeros. And yes, I say that as though Westeros is a real place. I make no apologies for it. You don't know. <laughs> we just talked about a movie with a, a Spider-Verse. You don't think there's other worlds out there? What do you What do you think we're doing here? But the point is, Sir Kristen Cole is the worst of them. He was nothing. He was nothing. He was nothing. And a princess brought him to prominence. Him and his family, his little petty family, they were nothing. She brought him to prominence. But when she turned him down, when his offer was, hey, what if you abandon the Iron Throne and we go live as paupers across the sea? And she was like, uh, no, thank you. He destroyed an entire continent because of that. He is the single worst person who ever lived. And if I met the actor who played Kristen Cole, I don't know if I could trust myself not to just immediately think of him as Kristen Cole. That's how much I hate Kristen Cole. By the way, kudos. Kudos to him. Very good performance because I hate him that much. Kristen Cole is the worst. The worst. You can put it in the first line of my obituary. Michael Walsh, nobody hated Sir Kristen Cole more than him. Also, he was a dad. You did it. You did it. Uh, I don't disagree with anything you said. <laughs> having having uh, uh, that whole time in that season, I was like, I knew how much you hated him. And that was the thing. Like going into the the, ep- the show, and I had not read the er, the books that had him in it, um, I was like, boy, Mikey really hates this character. He doesn't seem that bad. And then like once once – once he's bad, he's he's very bad indeed. And like the fact that, yeah, you're right. He would completely destroy an entire continent. He puts he, he puts lives at risk and legitimately just kills people either directly or indirectly because this this teenager <laughs> didn't want to go and give up being, you know, her responsibility, her family responsibility. Uh, what a jerk. What a jerk, everybody. So, yes, I agree. And if you disagree. Um, please uh, write a note to Mikey, put it in a bottle, and throw it into the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Actually, throw it into an active volcano. I don't I don't want anybody to find your thoughts on Kristen Cole if they're positive. Um, thank you for joining me on this inaugural episode, Mikey. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me. This is Absolutely. great. Absolutely. You will be back again. That's the purpose of this show. Um, but in the meantime, how can people get a hold of you online if they wish to do so and if you wish to be found online? Well, uh, for now, I'm still on Twitter. You can find me at Burger Mike. 
Uh, if you can't spell Burger Mike, it's all one word. And it's usually at the bottom of my pieces at Nerdist.com, where you can read all of my thoughts on so many things about pop culture. Yeah. And uh, as always, you can find me. Um, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I decided to jump that Smart. ship. Smart. Um, you can follow That's me. Kyle's on- smarter than I am. <laughs> follow me on Instagram at functional underscore nerd. You can also follow me on uh, Letterboxd, where I uh, am very active and watch a lot of movies and write about stuff. Uh, Kyle underscore Anderson. Um, or you can read my stuff on uh, Nerdist.com as well. So until next time, when we have a different thing to talk about, I've been Kyle Anderson, and thank you for listening to Laser Focus. Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com.